This time loop thing. How did you get out of it? Oh, I simply boosted the circuits and broke free. You came back of your own accord? Well, I... Doctor? No. No, I'm afraid not. No, obviously the Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS always to return to Earth. It seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo. Welcome to Galactic Yo-Yo, the podcast where Doctor Who fans share their unpopular opinions with the world. And I have to do with them. I'm your host, Molly Marsh. Coming to you on a bank holiday Monday. I'm just about to edit the podcast um, on, a, on a new, brand new computer. I normally edit on a, on a Mac that I've had for the last um, nine years in GarageBand. Um, and I've just, I've just got a new PC. Uh, so I'm, I'm having to readjust to editing on a PC. I'm sure it's going to be fine, but I'm entering it with some trepidation, uh, nevertheless. This week's episode um, is a conversation I had with Christine Kelly. Um, I hesitate call, I hesitate to call it um, this week's episode, though, because I recorded it um, about a month ago, and I've been sitting on it for a little while. Um, I had a chat with Christine about why she feels that um, the best Doctor Who is intrinsically queer, and we talked about that primarily in light of the episode the pilot. Um, so that was a, an interesting conversation. It was great to finally um, speak to Christine. She's somebody that I've um, been wanting on the podcast um, for a little while. I'm pretty sure um, that's all the admin I have this week. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Christine Kelly. I'm, I'm good to go uh, when, when, when you are then. Uh, I am. I am also ready. Yes. Fantastic. Now I always do. I'm here with Christine Kelly, writer, critic. Um, I always do when I'm in when I'm in a, when my guest is in a different part of the world. I do the time zone chat. It's afternoon for you, Christine, right? It is that. Yes. I'm never going to be, stop being blown away by the phenomenon of time zones. That's and that's why we're talking about Doctor Who, isn't it? <laughs> It kind of feels like time travel, though, right? Especially yes. like a place like Australia, where, like, when I talk to Johnny Spandrel, for example, who I've had on the show three or four times now, and it's a and it's a Friday night for him, and it's a Friday morning for me. It's like, yeah, that feels Australia wrong. Australia is like, feels like it sh- planet. Yeah, it feels like it shouldn't be happening. Um, but yeah, great. Um, so you, you're you're a kind of writer critic. How would you describe yourself, Christine? Uh, writer, critic, blogger, podcaster, woman of all trades, uh, I, I, whatever you want to call me. <laughs> Fantastic. And, um, and what do you, what kind of writing have you been doing over the last few years, uh, uh in the world of Doctor Who and, and how have you become a known quantity in the world of Doctor Who, would you say? Um, Twitter threads and nepotism. <laughs> uh, to elaborate on that, uh, I suppose I've, uh, Let's see, I've been embedded in um, Doctor Who fandom for about seven years. Um, it's it's taken about seven years of my life, and I've just kind of 
floated into uh, certain circles by accident, I guess. And I'm eventually uh, becoming a member of uh, Rudentorum Press. Uh, so being both adopted as a staff writer by Elizabeth Sandifer and legally adopted <laughs> as... So uh, that's... So it, it's, yeah, it's... um I guess I am mostly known for just being uh, a presence in Doctor Who fandom, although I can't really... I, I don't think I have extensive writing on it outside of uh, Twitter threads, mm, which mm, I'll probably mm. change up at some point. Yeah, I mean, uh, f- from my perspective, uh, Eruditor and Press has kind of created this... Even even though, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily... Um, I don't know, even though n- nobody seems to state this outright, it, it seems to have created and fostered a community of Doctor Who people online um, who kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, are countercultural to central um, mainstream Doctor Who fandom. Would you agree with that? Yeah, uh, uh, EP, we kind of have this... I mean, it's kind of a branched off into this sort of a sub-fandom of its own. Like, mm. you have a kind of, the, the a kind of like, micro... It sort of feels like there's a new consensus view within the sort of Eruditor and Press church, right? Yeah, I think it's kind of, there's kind of a micro-generation of yeah. uh, people who um the, of people who grew up reading uh, Tardis Eruditorum and Shibu Graffiti and now do their own media criticism mm. blogs, mm. which... It's, 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 kind, it's kind of a neat uh, phenomenon that I would... Uh, never have expected to see anywhere but it's it, it is it is it is continually exciting to see just new folks be positively impacted by this little circle yeah i think it, yeah and it, and it is a, it is definitely a positive thing even though you know it's a it's a very leftist circle that that holds stories to account and um and you know it is not gonna it's not gonna hold mm-hmm. back on the on that kind of criticism i, I, I would say it's still a very positive community and a, and a very positive um, space and, and the, the and the enthusiasm that I feel from from uh, this kind of micro community is is huge. That and we're a bunch of goofy motherfuckers. <laughs> I think that's the first motherfucker on Galactic Yo Yo. So congrats, is it? Is it really? Oh, that. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so. Oh, that's that 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 is that's a life dream. I always wanted to be the first person to say motherfucker on Galactic Yo Yo. <laughs> So I first discovered um, Eruditorum Press and, and Tardis Eruditorum um, back in the day when I was writing my university dissertation on Doctor Who, and I literally just put a tweet out saying, and this is before I did Galatia or anything, or I was really, you know, properly involved in online Doctor Who fandom, and I put a tweet out saying, can anybody point me to any blogs that chronicle the history of Doctor Who in a critical way? And... Um, Lots of people came at me with with Taurus, Taurus I thought I'll I'll check this out, and I was hooked, and I just devoured the whole thing in about a month, and I must have read it three or four times over now, and it, yes, it's had a massive impact, not just on the way I view Doctor Who, but the way I kind of um, read and consume media in general. It's been yeah. absolutely huge for me. Yeah, I have a similar relationship with it, except well. Actually, no, I don't think anyone has the exact relationship I do with Tardis Reditorum because I'm the only... Um, so something that Elle says a lot is that um, she is that uh, af- like after adopting a reader, she no longer ever loses a, a game of weirdest thing a fan has ever done again. <laughs> but but um, yeah, it's, def- it's certainly something that if you encounter it at a, at a certain moment in your life, it, it, chain- it, it does... It can direct your thinking. I think I started reading, reading the blog around 
um, around the time Series 8 was was airing, or maybe shortly after that, but um, that was definitely uh, my my young my young self was kind of forming. I was kind of figuring out who it was, and mm, so uh, mm. discovering this weird ass um, left wing uh, media criticism blog. I was like, okay, yes, this is this is my shit. Yeah, and the fact that the blog, you know, uses Doctor Who as a lens to critique other other media and other moments in culture as well. Um, just means that it, yeah, it it opens you up to to applying its its um, method of thinking and worldview more. Yeah, in a, in a yeah, more it definitely taught me that way. stories can be about multiple things. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Great. So you've you've recently resumed your residency on on Eruditor and Press, um, and have have got a, your writing project going on on that. Could you kind of explain to the listeners what that's all about? I mean, it's not a Doctor Who thing, but I'm sure they'd be super interested to hear about it anyway. Sure. I mean, well, it is a Doctor Who thing in so much as uh, Kate Bush wrote Kinda, but um, <laughs> I was when uh, I was like saving that up, and I was like, when am I gonna hit her with uh, Kate Bush wrote Kinda, and you did it for me, so you you swept. Sorry I should have no, I should have done it sooner. I should have done it sooner. Um. So uh, yeah, my my blog is called uh, Dreams of Organon. It is a song by song study of Kate Bush. I'm tracking her her development as an artist from. The first demos she uh, recorded in the early 70s to the present day with her most recent live show before the dawn. Great. So and and what is the you know, what have the challenges been in in going so in depth into an artist discography like that? Because I think if I started a project like that, no matter how into the artist I was, I'd be I'd be scared of, oh, you know, uh, am I going to find enough to say about each song? Is that easy for you or is that is that part of the part of the fun is 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 finding a, a, an angle and a take on each one it can be um it can be both uh both challenging and and fairly easy i i think that with uh, a lot of songs it's i have no problem getting 2000 words and then mm. there's some stuff where i'm like yeah this is barely like this this obscure b-side from uh 1979 or whatever does not merit 2000 words so i'm just going to cut this down and just uh put out a little micro post maybe alongside something longer but um there's uh i I think getting lengthy blog posts is um less of a challenge than it used to be i think the main the main struggles well on a practical level there can just be it can be hard to just narrow down like okay when was this song uh recorded because i try to go in chronological order of recording which can't always happen sometimes Mm -hmm. i just have to guess or resort to um, album sequencing but um there's definitely i mean i, su- I suppose like uh, there's there's sometimes that tricky balance of like just uh, going like okay i'm trying to faithfully uh tell the story of kate bush and also just my own uh narrative what i see is kind of the developing motifs and themes uh within her work yeah i was gonna say have you got a macro narrative of kate bush's career that you're trying to impose upon the the blog and and or is it or is it more of a post by post thing? Um, it's I definitely have vague idea. I I definitely have general ideas of where a blog is going, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. The, it will it will generally surprise me as I go from essay to essay. Like um, I just put out a uh the first blog post for her um album, The Dreaming, and uh, I was I had I had a lot of clear ideas in mind uh, set a uh, set down before writing that. And then when I actually sat down to write this uh, first essay, Sat in Your Lap, I just, like, suddenly all this stuff showed up on the page that I had not 
considered before. So mm. it's it's a project that it's a project that kind of uh, continually surprises me. Yeah, that's that sounds really really exciting. Did Kate Bush write Kinder? <laughs> uh, I I mean. I guess if we, I guess if we want to like split the credit between Eric Sayward, Tom Stoppard, Kate Bush, or I'm, I mean, <laughs> I tell you uh, what, I'll, I... I'll ask you a more serious question though. Do you <laughs> think there is a relationship between the music of Kate Bush and Doctor Who? Do you think there's a reason that you are an avid fan of both? Um, you know, is there, yeah, is there a, a link there at all? Yeah, I think there's. I think they're both at their core, despite some. I mean, despite, uh, like, well, they're they're kind of, I think, they're both British uh, liberatory institutions, I think. Mm. I mean, both with definitely some reactive, uh, reactionary uh, leanings, but they're, they're, it's still, nonetheless, just kind of this tendency to shake off normal metaphysics and just be weird, physical, um, just uh, present, um, just uh, expanding the human mind, Um Mm. Something, something along those lines. I think just some of the tan, same uh, mercurial British tendencies. Well, in both. yeah, I was going to say she's sort of got that thing that that David Bowie's got of, of kind of you know existing on the fringes of the mainstream and and straddling that boundary between the avant-garde and the mainstream, which which David Bowie does that and Doctor Who does that and I think Kate Bush does that as well. Like you know, Wuthering Heights was was number one. Everyone knows Wuthering Heights is a fantastic pop song. Same with the song like Hands of Love. But there's something about those songs that is avant-garde and and you know slightly off kilter, and then lots of her, the rest of her discography. Not that I've heard all of it, is you know far more avant-garde and far more off the wall, and you know there's there's lots more there to for for on offer. You know, I think that yeah, yeah. Bo- Bowie and Doctor Who and Kate Bush, they all kind of have that that in common. Yeah, just that a uh, tendency to be weird in ways that the, that the public appreciates. So I mean, I think I think all that uh, that who uh, Bowie and Bush kind of all prove that uh, the public has more of a stomach for mm. weird things and just kind of mind expanding absolutely ideas than um, than might be uh, generally considered. But like, there is absolutely. Uh, pop audiences are much weirder than you expect. E- even if you're dealing with a very niche crowd, you're going to hear and see a lot of things you're not expecting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I remember the excitement when Kate Bush went on tour again, where she hadn't toured for like 25 years or something stupid, and the public went crazy. It was like, you know, it was like nothing I'd ever heard. So, yeah, it just shows you that that she's not. Um, she, yeah, she's not a, a fringe concern in in British culture. Yeah, which I mean, shows and stuff like I think all her albums have made the top ten in the UK. So it's y'all y- y'all have y- y'all have something going on with this weirdo. <laughs> You're a big Bowie fan as well, though, right? Oh, huge, yes. And there's a there's a similar blog about about Bowie's stuff that to the, to the yeah yeah is that kind of where yeah, you my, got the my... inspiration from for for your your Kate Bush blog or. I, I ripped off Chris for that one, yes. Um, my friend uh, Chris O'Leary uh, wrote the uh, David Bowie blog, Pushing Ahead of the Dame, and uh, at, uh, when, a few years ago when I was just looking for something to uh, write, just a new project to keep me occupied, I just thought, like, okay, this is a, this is a format that works because uh, uh, Pushing Ahead of the Dame is fucking brilliant. And 
I know a lot about Kate Bush, so I could feasibly pull this off. Mm. Uh, and then I uh, announced, like, so hey, I'm gonna start, uh, like, I'm gonna start a Kate Bush blog next month. Um, started it a year later, but because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, research is a thing. Yeah, huge, huge for sure. I'm gonna rewind the conversation now. <clears throat> I'm gonna rewind, and I'm gonna ask you about um, Doctor Who again, and I'm gonna ask you about um, when you first. Um, got into Doctor Who and how you became a Doctor Who fan. Oh, right. Um, so uh, it would have been around the 50th anniversary. Um, just a, a lot of friends, a lot of uh, internet friends who are really into um, Doctor Who. And I, I think around the time I just said, they went, you know what, fuck it, I'll see what's uh, what this is all about. So I uh, popped on Amazon, watched um, series one pretty damn quickly. Um um, and just kind of continued through there. Um, kept watching the classic series. I mean, new series. Then uh, I think by the time I got to the Smith era, I started watching classic series, and it it just kind of it 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 took a hold of my life and possessed me. It's I I I demand restitution from Doctor Who. <laughs> it's a story I've heard again and again. I mean, I have never I've never heard somebody say to me, you know, oh, I I decided to check out Doctor Who. And then I consumed it really, really slowly and patiently. You know, no one ever says that. They're like, no, I just gobbled it all up and, yeah. um, you know, and watched all of New Who as quickly as I could and then delved into some classic Who. And I, I, I yeah, I don't think people really, uh, yeah, really consume Doctor Who slowly once they've discovered it. Um, was there a, you know, I, I'm always interested to ask Americans about Doctor Who and, and you know, what it felt like when you first watched it was there a sort of quintessential Britishness to Doctor Who that you that you had not kind of experienced before, or being a Kate Bush fan and being a David Bowie fan, were you sort of familiar with that British sensibility that Doctor Who brings? Oh, Bowie and Bush entered my life much later than Doctor Who. Oh, okay, right. So yeah, so my, uh, this was it was definitely my first, well, not first, but I think extended immersion in um british culture so mm. there was yeah, it was definitely a um seeing uh british history and uh politics and uh um so, and so in some cases a uh, proletarian life in just ways that i'd not been exposed to before because usually i was just getting you know the quote-unquote high culture of uh tolkien and lewis and folks like that so mm. this is like just kind of getting a it was it introduced me to a fuller picture of uh britain yeah, I mean, especially those early, you know, I, I think later in the show in New Who, when we get to like the Stephen Moffat era and we get to like series six and seven, you know, it, it starts to become aware of its American audience a little bit more. And it doesn't it doesn't get Americanized in any kind of negative way, but it, it knows it's got this cool, org, uh, cool audience yeah. in the States and elsewhere in the world. Whereas I think those early Davis seasons um, feel very firmly rooted in the culture of the UK in 2005 2006 2007 was that alienating at all or was it just you know did it just kind of go over your head um wasn't alienated to me i think it just kind of looked at it like okay this is this is how this particular story gets told mm. Mm. fair enough yeah i it's just like yeah with, the, with that 2005 series especially it just very much feels like this could have only aired then do you know what i mean and it's yeah. a very and, and people people le uh, leverage that as a criticism, but I don't think it's a uh, you know a reason to critique it at all. I think that's oh yeah, that's what makes that first season so brilliant is that 
Yeah, it, so it's, it's dated, but dated isn't a problem. No, no. You know, in the, whereas some of the 80s stuff, maybe it's just further away, and I, don't, and I wasn't alive in the 1980s, but that some of the 80s stuff feels like it's dated in a, in a bad way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I love the McCoy era, but there are moments of it that uh, still feel like, like, wait, wait, what? What are you doing? What is mm, this? Mm, oh, yeah, mm. right, right. This is, um, this is a thing that you would have done in that particular moment, and probably not in any other time. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there'll be things about the Eccleston stuff and the early Tenant stuff that will feel like that in. 10, oh yeah, I mean, with any time. media at all, there's it, yeah. it, it, it always reflects um, its uh, cultural context. Yeah. yeah, there's no there's no future proofing media at all. Yeah, I mean, I I can only imagine them how. I mean, I was I was I was going to speculate about 2020 media, how what it's how that's going to look in a few years, but I'm like, what 2020 media? <laughs> well, it's all stuff filmed in, on webcams and stuff, isn't it? Um, it's I mean, it's going to be it's going to be more fixed to a time than any other year's media ever i think right it's um it's the chronological equivalent of only fans right yes exactly <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, i read a statistic the other day that this um that in the uk um only fans subscriptions have risen by 45 percent since the covid 19 pandemic hit isn't that astonishing? I mean, it's not that surprising, but it's also like, wow, that is an increase. People are bored in their homes, right? Yeah, I, I would have expected a higher number, but yes. I mean, by by almost fifty percent, though, that seems, seems yeah, that is anything that, that is rising that quickly by almost fifty percent is is crazy to me. But um, yeah, I don't know why I've just entered into a, a an OnlyFans chat on on Galactic Yo Yo. <laughs> I might cut that. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you, when did you go then from being a person that watched Doctor Who or had seen Doctor Who to being a Doctor Who fan? Dalek. Oh, so I, li I think... literally when you saw Dalek, that's like, I'm a Doctor Who fan now. Yeah, I think that was that was when I was just like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm sticking with this. This uh -huh. is speaking. This is speaking to me on a level that not that nothing else quite has. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And then did you immediately seek out fan community? Were you already in fan communities of other stuff and you you know it was natural to seek out a fan community of Doctor Who or did that come later or was it centered around the 50th or Um I I had definitely had um I I had friends who were Doctor Who fans online so I kind of encountered more Doctor Who fans through them and it just kind of kind of slowly drifted until like 5 6 fan circles in Right or... right Right, and now we're, we're where we are today. Yes, it's uh, th th this train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Should we talk about um, unpopular opinions then, Christine? Uh, that 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 is that is a fun thing to do. Yes. That is what we're here for, after all. So you came to me with a fascinating um, kind of thesis, which is. Uh, wasn't it something? <laughs> I should be telling you this. You should. Yeah, this is why I left you, left the floor open for you. Um, I, I think it was the, uh, it was something like the best Doctor I Who. I think it was the best Doctor Who is inherently queer. That's right. Yes, that was what you and and you were going to talk about it um, specifically in relation to the pilot. Yeah, um, I, I so I already mentioned that a uh, Doctor Who has a flawed but uh, real but genu but genuine um, liberatory streak. I I think it is fundamentally about 
finding um, new horizons or just better ways of being, which is a pretty integral part of um, a lot of queer lives. But I mean, I, I think particularly um, trans lives is that we, we kind of spent like a big portion of our life is spending on just is spent on just figuring out a new way of being and mm. sometimes in a world that's um hostile to that uh um so like and doctor who it's like the world is scary and hostile and huge sure but that's also kind of fucking awesome definitely which um and so that's why you have so many uh queer people uh hopping on hopping aboard the doctor like um bill and captain jack and um the uh egg stephen moffat i didn't say that um (laughs) (laughs) well i mean and 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 outside outside of the universe of doctor who as well it's always been a show that has historically appealed to uh you know queer and lgbt people hasn't it and and uh, you know we've people have i I wouldn't know anything about that fandom (laughs) fandom has spent a long time kind of trying to trying to figure it figure that out why that is and 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 why that might have happened i mean i'm thinking of you know throughout the 70s and 80s and 90s uh, i'm thinking about the the massive circle of um you know gay male fans that then sort of took on the show in you know when you who came around and then i'm thinking about the sort of a smaller community of, of trans fans that seems to exist in in uh the the modern day um yeah wh- yeah what what do you think the reason is for that uh, for you um i think it is very much that um i i suspect trans people just kind of like broadening horizons because mm. we're just kind of used to that overall yeah but um well like, yeah it's um, interesting what you said about um you know fi- you know finding new ways of living and, and it being to do with hostility and i think it is to do with hostility from from the rest of the world but i think it's also to do with um discovering new ways of living that we didn't even know were there do you know what i mean and i think a lot of the trans experience certainly for me is is about that it's about discovery of a new way of living that the that the world had never presented to me and i think that doctor who plays into that very well of ordinary people previously ordinary people discovering new horizons and discovering new ways of living and new you know new modes of being yeah i think that um the i mean i personally i find the doctor um i think the hook of the doctor's appeal for me is that they are they're this they're basically this um uh this kind of neurodivergent eccentric figure that that say so that i can relate to and yet are also just they uh they have a fundamentally different way of existing hmm Mm. And, um, they rege- like, and they regenerate, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah. I've, I've I just mean, recorded a podcast. Me too, the fuck? Yeah. Well, this I just recorded a <laughs> podcast um, about this, and then with um, with Joy Piedmont, and that was more. We talked there more more about the kind of um, experience of changing uh, the way everybody changes through their lives, as as Matt Smith says in in his regeneration speak. But I think uh, speech. But I think there is a, a a kind of queer element to that as well. Not not just in the sense that you know the Doctor has literally now transitioned um to 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 being a woman in in 2020 but but also that that kind of more general change of identity and 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 metamorphosis that has gone on with every regeneration change yeah it is kind of you do see this radical upsurge of um fucking everything uh throughout the show and i think mm. 
I mean, well, if you're like me and you have ADHD, I'm just look at that and like, yeah, that's how my brain works. What, what, what? Like that's that's just. True. <laughs> yeah, that's just me. I just kind of respond to um, the constant uh, change in modes of uh, being and environment and aesthetic. Yeah, and the change in and the change in your own story, I suppose, as well. Yeah, I've uh, like certainly over the past year and a half, my. Um, so I guess in Doctor Who terms, I, I think this would be like if you went straight from the fifth Doctor era to the twelfth Doctor era. That's kind of a summation of how different my life is uh, from when where it was before. So, oh, Doc, I again, Doctor Who owes me restitution. I need to sue them for changing my life. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like people, cis people, and people who've not not experienced being trans, they think that I think that it's tempting for them to think of transition as a purely a physical process, and it's not. It changes everything about your life, you about the people around you, about the situations you're in, and how you navigate them. Um, yeah, and I think yeah, that's that's massively reflected in Doctor Who. I don't know how you feel about this, but for me as a trans person i relate to the 12th doctor despite being a trans woman i relate to the 12th doctor far more than the 13th doctor in terms of yeah. their transness yeah me too like that, the 13th doctor still of... seems kind of unattainable and and yeah um aspirational whereas the the 12 feels like it's a reflection of of kind of what my process has been yeah, I think 12 kind of reflects a certain amount of psychological damage and um, confusion on, like, okay, how do I be the person I'm trying to be? And that is just a fundamentally difficult question. Mm -hmm. And, like, and just, uh, also, there's just also that 12 is very different from uh, his predecessors, but also much about... Yeah, just kind of uh, confusion on how to be a person, how to have relationships and uh, care for people. And he kind of mm. he kind of has this very uh, neurodivergent um, way of uh, of of uh, taking care for of sure. people, which which kind of where he kind of struggles with uh, nuance and gray areas. Mm. Where he's just like, okay, I need to be um, harsh or fuck off altogether. Or like I need to completely protect you, or I've uh, or I've failed. So like like he's just kind of, I think there's kind of this struggle with nuance encapsulated in the Twelfth Doctor's uh, character arc, which is pretty yeah. similar to uh, my experience of quite a lot of life. Sure. Yeah, I think I've got a couple of responses to that. The first is that it's interesting looking back that the Twelfth Doctor's. Um, first season arc is that question of am i a good man and i i would argue that you know supposedly we get a, a resolution to that at the end of of series uh series eight um when he he decides oh no i'm 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 not a good man i'm not a bad man i'm just an idiot with a box and that really works but then also you could argue the question the conclusion he eventually comes to is i'm, I'm not a man at all um and the the ah. other the other thing you were saying there about um about the doctors being kind of uh, 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 this neurodivergent figure, I think more than more than pretty much any other doctor, the twelfth doctor has this kind of um, autistic vibe, and I think he's his character yeah. is really testament 
to the and and really quashes um, the misconception that um, autistic people completely lack compassion. Do you know what I mean? Because because they yeah. they might struggle to relate to other people or might um, not experience empathy in quite the same way as um, as uh, people without autism. I think the the twelve doctor shows why that me- you know that that does not mean that. Um, you know, neurodivergent and autistic people do not experience and cannot enact compassion. Yeah, uh, there's, yeah, he's um both, uh, I think he's showing that um the uh, flu- that uh, fluid thinking affects, um, affects how you uh, empathize and are compassionate towards people, uh, but while, while not removing that ability, it just mm. makes, makes it, makes you perform it differently. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting um, after the, uh, after Can You Hear Me? You know, at the end of Can You Hear Me in series 12, um, uh, the 13th Doctor has that conversation with Graham about his cancer and she and she doesn't really react in the way that Graham wants or in, in a way that is necessarily ideal. And there was quite a lot of discourse about it on Twitter. Um, uh, and I thought it was interesting that if that had been... I I don't necessarily think that scene was written in the right way, but I do think that if that had been the 12th Doctor, people would have accepted it a little bit more easily, perhaps because of the gender element and because we're used to seeing um, autistic or or, or neurodivergent people who are men and and not so used to seeing, you know, female female figures in, in that kind of role. Yeah, um... I, I I barely remember the the scene in question or or the series in question to be <laughs> honest but um but there's but you're I think you're right that there is some stuff that peep that viewers will um just uh hear hear from men go yeah that makes sense but then mm. um but I think women are, are kind of prescribed a more um here's how you have to uh here's how you have to woman here's how you're have to interact with people sure so yeah, so I think there yeah there's certain stuff that um, Whitaker that that say like Capaldi does that if Whitaker does them is going to get uh, a, a certain amount of attention. Mm. And th- and that and that kind of prescriptiveness about womanhood is one of the things I found most intimidating and difficult. You know, when entering womanhood is kind of like, oh well, there seem to be a lot more rules on on this side of the fence than on the other side of the, of the fence. I don't know whether you felt that way, Christine. Yeah, you do surrender a lot of privilege. Yeah, but not not just that. It's more. It's more kind of like. I yeah. I suppose it is. It is wrapped up in privilege a little bit. But I'm. I, I more kind of mean that there. Yeah, the world kind of gives you fewer options of of the the sort of the sort of um person you're allowed to be. Yeah, yeah. It, it's scary because you're kind of going down a narrower alley. Yeah, for sure. Or what? What it doesn't have to be a narrow alley, but what? the world kind of tells you as a narrow alley or depicts to you as a narrow narrower alley um i can't say that phrase at all um <laughs> but yeah like i suppose this comes back to what we were saying at the start of the chat about doctor who doctor who's job is to show us wide alleys and that is maybe you know that's one of the most exciting things about it for for people like me and you yeah um and something I don't remember exactly what we were saying earlier, but I think there was uh, just a general comment on um, how transition not only changes how um, 
and the transition not only affects you physically, but um, uh, psychologically, mentally. Like you, you do really do uh, change. The like your approach to life is just it becomes more fluid. Like the way you mm. see genders uh, and things like that just become just changes a lot. And I and I think that's part of why I'm just so baffled by um transgender essentialists because I'm like. You, you've been through this. You know better. Mm. You know that people, that, that this stuff is extremely fluid. Like, I'm a binary trans woman. I'm mm. kind of, uh, I'm like, I'm, 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 as far as transness goes, I am the image of conventionalism. But, like, I, I think on a, on an emotional level, I get the, um, I, I to an extent, I, I, I understand I think like just intuitively when uh, when when non-binary people talk to me about their experience in gender, yeah. I just kind of go like, yeah, that's, yeah, that makes sense to me. It's not where I went with it, but it is kind of I think we're kind of using the, uh, the same grammar and language. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. And I feel that in a practical sense, you know, at, at the moment, I by no means, um, you know, pass at all. And I think that means that I day to day have the same experience and face a lot of the same challenges that that kind of not non-binary people face with their with their gender non-conforming presentation which makes me relate to their experience uh massively do, do you kind of get what i mean yeah yeah i definitely understand that it's kind yeah it's um yeah with like with with uh, trans non-binary people there are definitely a lot of rules about um how you're allowed to um look and present so just being out on the street and just going like okay i am not meeting someone's idea of what a woman is mm, supposed to look like sure. can be very stressful and i and i live in an extremely progressive area so mm -hmm, i'm mm -hmm. so i'm better off than most in this regard but well, i still too, have yeah. that stress. north london is is yeah is about as progressive as as you can you can get in the in the uk i guess yeah uh y'all haven't had any issues with like turfs over there recently have you <laughs> That's the thing with turfs, though, right? It's insidious, and it's not—you're not going to get attacked in the street by a turf. And I think that yeah. is uh, that—that's uh, not me being like, "Well, you got to give them that." But it is me being like, "It doesn't make me feel unsafe to be." I mean, they may have an influence on the wider conversation that makes people feel, makes other people maybe feel like they can be physically aggressive or verbally aggressive in in the, you know, in the big bad world. But um, yeah, that you're not going to be. J.K. Rowling is not about to, you know, put yeah. any trans people in headlocks at, at the bus stop, are they? Is, is she? In, <laughs> yeah, in in certain, yeah, I, I think in in certain progressive circles, there is kind of a, a tendency to overemphasize online conversations at the expense of uh, just. I mean, like obviously, on online conversations are important, but like they aren't the extent of uh, things that are happening. Like yeah, you go, yeah. like you go, like the people you meet, like when you meet trans people in person, you have very, very different conversations than you do mm, online. Mm, mm, definitely, but I think actually that this has gone completely um, off off the topic. Oh, of, yes. of Doctor Who yeah, being we're intrinsically talking about queer, Doctor Who, weren't we? but <laughs> I think that maybe what was is what was so worrying for people and what was so what felt so dangerous about the J.K. Rowling discourse that you know is as kicked off re recently and is on ongoing is that it felt like that was the conversation stepping outside of this online arena and into the into the real world kind of thing you know i ended up my mum is is saying to me 
what you know what do you think about this jk rowling stuff and it's it's a conversation which she doesn't know is it's a conversation that's been going on for years but it's now somebody with a a platform the size of jk rowling's as as is talking about it um and not in a necessarily a very helpful way and it's in newspapers and it's on television and um i think yeah maybe that was what was so or what is so worrying about about her yeah her stance on 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 the whole thing yeah it's uh, it, it's kind of like uh the alt right or gamergate like we've we've if you're if you're a progressive person online you've probably been observing these issues closely for a number mm. of years and mm. when they uh, kind of make the mainstream it's uh you're we're just like okay i know how to like i i know how these people work sure and yeah sure. Seeing it's them, a weird one yeah seeing them kind of shove outwards into the real world is a bit surreal yes yes it absolutely is um should we should, yeah should we talk about the pilot a little bit because you we mentioned that as a story that you felt was a good um representative for this this uh thesis of yours everyone in it is gay <laughs> I mean, it's, it introduces us to Doctor Who's first out gay companion. I mean, kind of. Obviously, there's Jack, but full time companion. Um, yeah, which is a which is a big deal, whether we like it or not. Yeah, and I, I do like it. I thought uh, Bill is one of my favorite um, Doctor Who characters ever. Really. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's just. It was way fast fucking time to have a queer woman of color as a companion. So it's so just I, that is absolutely like having Pearl Mackie and Doctor Who is just something that need to happen. And then there's just that that Pearl Mackie is adorable and precious and I want to protect. <laughs> well, she recently came out as bi herself, right? Yes. Am I, uh, did I uh, yeah, read that correctly? That, that, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, she, uh, it, which, you, you know, this. And a million fans screamed out in joy. Yeah, uh, I mean, a scream that sounded like we Ben knew, but. What do you think um, about the way that um, the pilot kind of um, depicts Bill's sexuality then? Because there was some, I remember there was some complaints when it aired that it's pretty much the first thing she talks about right off the bat. But for me, that's just, that's just the expository dialogue that you get when any character is introduced and there and you're trying to paint a picture of who they are. You know, her... So have you met gay women? <laughs> but Bill's sexuality is a huge part of who she is, and that you know, evidently, in that, you know, that yeah, Stephen's trying to put that character out on the table for us, and yeah, you know, Stephen Moffat. I think he. I mean, I think that uh, love relationships are 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 just kind of a huge part of his life, as evidenced sure. by everything he's ever written. But um, it's. I, I think yeah, he's uh, he's just kind of giving Bill the same treatment he gives any of his heterosexual characters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, yeah, like in the case of Bill, I, I I think he nails a lot of the little details about him, uh, just about um, uh, qu uh, queer and sapphic life. Like um, like the like the the first thing you meet when um, you meet a, qu a queer person, the first thing you hear is usually "Hi, I'm gay" or something like that, which. Like, you know, who amongst us? <laughs> um, but uh, I th I, th I like some of the... I, I think a lot of the mastery of Bill is in um, the details, like how her way of uh, talking to people she's attracted to is to kind of 
not say, hey, I like you, but do, but just kind of do them eccentric, cute little favors and just hang out with them whenever possible. Just kind of a very socially awkward way of uh, liking people, which, and, and you can definitely see, like, as a queer woman of color, how perhaps, like, that kind of covert, quiet attraction will be kind of what part of uh, her existence definitely just because, definitely yeah because um because uh black women because like uh black women and or queer women just women or just women period uh exerting their sexuality is differently from a white person a white guy or even a white woman doing as such Absolutely. It feels like she's constantly suggesting her true meaning, doesn't it? With both Heather in this episode and later with um later with Penny as well in the in the Monk trilogy. Yeah, and it, I don't think it's even necessarily an entirely dark thing. A lot of it, I think a lot of it's just genuine enthusiasm where it's uh, you know, it it's kind of it's like a lot of her dialogue is the equivalent of just kind of giving a cute little wave and saying, "Guess what? I'm gay." Yeah. Um yeah, which which is which we stand. We have to stand. Um. I love it. I love all the little. You know what? What do some people feels like? Um, like you say, what do some people feels like overegging Bill's sexuality? I think to people who've who've experienced what living like that is like, they yeah they relate to it massively and they they see those moments for what they are, which is, you know, cheeky and celebratory and just just part of life for for. Yeah, for queer people. Yeah, I th- I think maybe my favorite moment in the episode is um when uh, Bill finds the pictures of her mother that uh, a fantastic the doctor has yeah. taken for. Oh my god, yeah, that is. Um, I mean, just given how, like, just like just having a large part of your history taken away is a struggle that I, th- I imagine a lot of uh, viewers of Doctor Who can relate to. So just seeing that get reclaimed even for a moment in some small way is just immense. Like just being reminded you have a family. This is a part of you. This is, has uh, indelibly formed your experience. Mm. What do you think about the doctor's role as an, as an ally to Bill? Do you think, what do you, do you think he fulfills that role? Do you think, what, yeah. What do you I, think that the, the situation is that? Um, I think, um, Oh, he's also like um, Bill in that his um, he expresses affection through um, little gestures uh, rather than outright words. Uh, sure. So I, th- I think they kind of have similar modes of communicating. Whereas, um, yeah, I come to think of it, I just I want to I want to just have this uh, uh, enunciate this observation before I forget. No, I think Bill course. is kind of the inverse of um, Ace because uh, like Ace was very much uh, someone who was very caught up with the fine details of a situation while um, it, then not noticing the big picture, like mm. um, the runes in Curse of Fenric, or she just looks at the runes. She's like, okay, um, the, like, okay, this is um, like, this offers a pretty good reading of them. And then misses the fact that, Hey, those runes weren't there before, which is kind of the big striking weird sure. part of yeah, them. Yeah. And whereas like, uh, whereas um, a bill is kind of uh, more attuned to uh, the big picture and kind of struggles to see little um little details like she know like when she looks at the reflection uh like she knows something is off but can't quite place it right which yeah. i mean i think both of it both very neurodivergent ways of uh covering this stuff but uh, as for uh as for how the doctor does as an ally to bill um i think 
I think they kind of fundamentally relate because they have kind of similar modes of affection. I think uh, Dr. just kind of understands that enthusiasm for wanting more and um, experiencing loss because uh, they're both obviously uh, traumatized people who've uh, mm. lost families and have been well, severely damaged. Well, that was what damaged. I was going to say with that moment with the, with the photographs. It, it's like the doctor could have sort of love-bombed love her at that point when he realised that she had this loss in her life and that this thing she was working through. But instead, he decides to kind of facilitate her dealing with that in a way that actually includes the relevant people and the relevant, um, you know, uh, trauma in that scenario. Yeah. It's quiet help. Yeah, 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 which is huge and I think is what a lot of um you know a lot of marginalized people need more often no yeah I, I th yeah I think um I think in a lot of cases like for me I know that I'm I hugely value uh tenderness as a as an emotion or like I think or there's like small gestures of support will often um just to like uh, make me feel safer than like huge declarations because like because like big dramatic gestures can be off-putting, whereas like mm. just kind of little signs can kind of ease you into a situation or a friendship. Like just um, so I think I think there's just kind of little moments of establishing trust between these two. Mm. Mm. It's a shame we it's a shame we didn't get more of them, and it's a shame I say this on a lot of different Galactic EU episodes, but I think the show would have really benefited from having Bill stick around. Um, for the for the regeneration, um, I think that would have been a really exciting and interesting dynamic for the show to play with. Yeah, I I mean I I kind of I mean I I, I promised myself that I wouldn't spend the show dra dragging Chibnall, but I, uh, I I I do not have a lot of. I faith promised that myself Chibnall that every would. week, and then I then I relapse. Um, it's it's every, it's every it's hard. <laughs> it's like you got any more of that uh, chibnall that chibnall dissing juice. <laughs> um, um but, but yeah, you were saying. Um fuck, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave it then. We just we just won't we we just won't do our chibnall chibnall dragging. Why I guess what well, yeah, what I was talking about was that yeah, their relationship and uh, the Doctor and Bill's relationship and it, it would have been so interesting to see how that would have changed um how that would have changed with 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 the the Whitaker Doctor and with a with a a female Doctor and yeah I I think that would have been would have been so interesting um for sure what do what do you think oh, yeah. about the um there's a weird moment in um in the Doctor Falls is it in the Doctor Falls I think it's in the Doctor Falls where Bill says something about what am I thinking of here? I'm going to find the script because I can't remember what she says, but it's always really jarred with me. Um, and I wondered what your thoughts on it were. Um, bear with me. It's so useful. This person who transcribes every, um, uh, every doctor who story, isn't it? Bless their deranged heart. It's this bit. So, the doctor says, so if there's anything we ought to be saying, Bill says, I can't think of anything, can you? The doctor goes, no. And then Bill says, but hey, uh, you know how I'm usually all about women and kind of people my own age? And the doctor says, yeah. 
And Bill says, glad you knew that, and then walks away. And that's always, I've, that's always been a weird yes. moment. I've never really understood what Moffat means there. I, I think it's... a take I, on that? Um, I think there's... I, I don't think they've really... I, I think that, that they hadn't really had, up to that point, a conversation about uh, Bill's sexuality. And I think... I mean, I, I know that sometimes I just like little reminders that people accept me as a uh, as a woman or, or as queer. So, like, I think that's kind of... It's both um, like saying, like, hey, we haven't had this conversation. Can you... So you um, think she's looking to the doctor for kind of affirmation there? I, I think uh, to an extent. Uh, but also, I think just like saying, like, hey, wait, you noticed thing, this thing about me and you're okay with that, right? And he just right. kind of goes like, yeah, this is, it's just been the most normal thing in the world to him. Because it sort of seems like she's saying, oh, you realize I never would have been into you, right? Like, that's the way it's always come across to me, which feels odd. I don't know. But and, and that's kind of what made me think of it, because if Bill had stuck around and had met the Jodie Whittaker doctor, who is a woman and is closer to her own age, one wonders what would have happened there. Because uh, that... Bill clearly has deep love and affection for the doctor. And would that have become something more romantic if, you know, the doctor's appearance and, and uh, yeah, it would have would have aligned with what, what she what she wanted in a romantic partner? Well, we're probably uh, making the uh, hashtag give 13 a girlfriend uh, <laughs> people pretty happy. For sure. For sure. We probably are. <laughs> I don't know. It, I just have always wondered about that. Yeah. Um, I don't quite read it that way, but I can definitely see that angle on it. Mm. I think, uh, yeah, I think that line is just too open to interpretation because I, I was just always baffled by um, by what, what Moffat kind of meant. But, um, but yeah. Cool. It's, it's an odd beat. It is an odd beat, isn't it? How fantastic mm-hmm. is it though that Bill gets to gets to go away with? Because I was really, uh, I wasn't really sure what to make of it when I first saw the Doctor Falls and I saw Bill, um, and you know, Bill Bill gets to reunite with Heather and they go off flying around the universe. I wasn't really sure what to make of it as a story beat, and I still think that maybe it could have been seeded throughout the season a little better than it was. But sure. It, it never fails to make me happy now. You know, again, yeah. it feels like it feels like a literalization of what we were talking about earlier of really opening up doors for people who who didn't know the doors were there. Space lesbians. Yeah. Space lesbians an idea Moffat does twice for his companion exits. Oh yes, right, uh, right, Clara and uh, me. Yeah, I mean less less explicitly that time, but it's definitely got an aesthetic of the space lesbian, hasn't it? That oh that, yeah, um, that exit. Yeah, I just realised the the age gap with um me and Clara is uh, pretty much the opposite of uh, the age gap between Jenna Col- uh, Jenna Coleman and Maisie Williams, and I don't know what to do with this. With me and Clara. Is me because me is how many fucking? Well, me's like older than the doctor, right? She must be. Me, uh, yeah, me is is older than shit. Yeah. Yeah. But she doesn't seem it, and I think that's that's the thing with Doctor Who. Like age doesn't. Yeah. The literal age doesn't matter. It's always about how how old people feel. Um, but yeah, no, I can't. I can't help but just view that whatever you know, whatever the however clunky it is. I can't help but view that moment um, in a positive light these days. Oh, same. Me too. 
Um, Especially with all that Bill goes through in, in that two-parter as well. Yeah, I mean, just let let the nice let the nice girl have a girlfriend. That 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 be space water and stuff. Definitely, definitely. Is there a is there a, a yeah? I think that, that like I say, there could have been room for seeding that a little bit more in the season, and maybe having um, having Heather show up again halfway through, or having it referenced at all, um, because you you know you really do feel that it's come out of nowhere. Series ten definitely has um uh, the the consistent issue of feeling uh, kind of episodic and less I mean less of a cohesive statement than uh, eight and nine are. Mm. I think that was almost done on purpose as well though, wasn't it? Like yeah, it really feels it, it like is, it's going yeah. for that RTD era um, yeah. kind of style. There's a, lot, there's a lot of Davies callbacks in this one, I think. I mean, not least mm. that it's kind of it's following a student around. Um, uh, who while well, uh, just first well during her first encounter of Doctor Who iconography and uh, and uh, and obviously the um, mimicking monster in Heather is um, yeah. very midnight. Yeah, and and the way Heather looks is very Waters of Mars. Oh yes, oh yeah. I've I've, I've not seen Waters of Mars in <sighs> fucking years, but yeah, it's. Um, yeah, there's definitely some uh, minor Davies callbacks. I think the way the uh, the way um the Doctor is introduced in this is interesting because I I think he's the Doctor is I mean Moffat is basically writing uh, the Doctor as a, as retired, which he's doing in his last series, of course. Um, as, and that so he's kind of he kind of just lives among uh among the iconography of Doctor Who, and that's kind of yes. the first exposure yeah, that, that Bill has. Mm, I love that. And and even though he's uh he's just a uh, living as a lecturer uh on a university like his he like he basically has not changed how he lives. Like 2D is still basically a companion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it and it really feels like um you know, Bill's met Doctor Who as a concept because he's got all this Doctor Who iconography lying around around him and it feels like she meets it as a complete concept rather than you know, rather than the journey of discovery that some companions have to go on, um, it's it's made me laugh recently because they they make reference to the Doctor having been at Bristol St Luke's University for um, 50, upwards of fifty years, just um, lecturing there, <laughs> which um, is all very well and good. But I was watching Blink the other day, and <laughs> I was thinking about um, the Tenants Doctor and Martha stuck in the nineteen sixties. And I kept thinking, Capaldi is in Bristol. You could catch a train to Bristol and there's a TARDIS part there. <laughs> and yes. like, the same thing is true for like so many... Sto- like Capaldi's just there like living through so many other Doctor Who stories. Um, and I'm kind of obsessed with that. That is... Yeah, I, I, I love the weird implications of Doctor Who canon. Just like like, like just thinking about... Okay, wait. When this is happening here, this is happening yeah. like five miles away. Or like, I want a f- I want a story with the thirteenth Doctor or like a, a future Doctor where they end up stuck in the past or end up without the TARDIS in a in at some point in the twentieth century, and they, they and they really have fun. and they have Sorry, to do a sort of Back to the Future. Oh, there's only one man who can help me, sort of situation, <laughs> and run to Bristol and and knock on um, Capaldi's office door. Um, and he'd probably turn them away because it, it was outside of his office hours. But um, I'm just <laughs> obsessed with that idea. 
<laughs> if, if you really want to want to fuck with that idea more, mo- uh, drop the Thirteenth Doctor in Modern Undead. Yes, yes. Oh my <laughs> god, yes. That is a that, that would be a mind fucking a half, wouldn't it? It's like it's like it's like Back to the Future Part Two meets Modern Undead. That yeah. that is well, Back that, to the Future that... Two was my favorite film growing up. So this is probably why ah. I'm so attracted to this concept of there's only one man who can help me, um, because it just makes me feel so warm and fuzzy about Back to the Future Two, um, which I accept in adulthood is a flawed film. So don't don't send me angry emails about that. Um, I've got one more one more question for you, kind of about this this. Um, this concept of the intrinsic uh, and, and inherent queerness of Doctor Who. Um, is the 13th Doctor trans? Uh, not in the same way we are. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that is definitely true. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, go, I'm gonna, going off the line, uh, come to daddy, I mean, mommy, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that, yeah. It seems like yeah. there's a there's a few different thoughts on it. Some trans people are very like, and and some people in general are very like, no, she's not. It's you know, it's a it's a either a too simplistic or a t- or or, um, you know, it's too complex a way of reading it. And and some people are really like, yes, she is. Yes, she is. That is, you know, that is the goal. She she is, she is something. The thirteenth Doctor is something. I think I relate more to the to the process of the Doctor becoming the Thirteenth Doctor than I do them being the Thirteenth Doctor. Probably because of who they've got playing the 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 Doctor, and you know the fact that they've barely referenced the change, and that no one around her really knows she's changed gender or recognizes that she's changed gender. I think maybe that's why I don't necessarily see her as a trans as a relatable trans character. Sure. I I mean, I think I'm in the same boat. I don't think the show even unconsciously engages with that aspect no. of her too much. Although and that is one I, of I, the I, other reasons I would have loved to see Bill as a hangover companion is to actually get an audience identification figure who knows who she was before and who she is now. Um, yeah. I mean, my experience of transition was basically uprooting myself from uh, where I was raised and starting over. So, like, to an extent... I relate to the whole like okay, just a new set of people around you who mm, uh, don't mm. who don't know you as, uh, as your dead name or pre-transition self. Sure, so sure. I uh, so to an extent I can get that, but I don't think that the show really um engages with uh, thirteen as a queer character. No. Also, just the fact that everybody uh, that everybody on every Chibnall show is heterosexual, even if textually well, claimed unless, otherwise. Unless they're about to die. Yes, I mean, oh, if they're if they're if they're going to die, yeah, that's how you that's how you kill that's how you kill them. You just well, say like, oh, oh, I'm gay. Oh no, <laughs> I, I took I took the gay poison. Oh no. Well, I'm interested to see what happens um, when it, Jack is inevitably reintroduced in the either the Christmas special or next next season, because he obviously has known the Doctor, um, you know, in in their male incarnations, and is is going to be the first character really who's met a male Doctor and now the female Doctor. Um, so he he's going to be our first chance to really see how a, another person um, reacts to the doctor's the doctor's um, change. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, um, I think what the, what we need to do is um, just take some of uh, John Barrowman's uh, quotes about trans people and put them into the script. Yeah, the less said about have... that, the better. 
<laughs> or even some of the stuff in Torchwood about trans people. But yeah, the less oh, said yes, about that, that, the better. That would be um, uh, that that was that was, wow, that joke got dark. Um, yeah, it, it is what it is, right? <laughs> it is, it is, it is that thing. Mm, it is what it is. I think. I think one of the other reasons that some trans people um, and some some people in general don't really relate to the Doctor as a trans character is because um, there's a real sense that they've changed gender. And a lot of trans people, and, and certainly the general consensus is, no, ch trans people don't change gender. They've always been the gender they are. And then they, you know, they come out or they discover that truth about themselves or whatever. And actually, that's not necessarily my experience of being trans. And I, I kind of I kind of do relate to the doctor having been a man and then a woman or been a boy and then a girl. Um, so I, I think that's maybe why why i yeah i'm attracted to this idea of the, the the doctor regenerating into a woman i don't know what your stance is on that christine yeah and i mean d i think discovering a certain truth about yourself isn't like isn't doesn't necessarily conflict with um a dramatic change from of going from being one thing to another because mm. like even as a, a lot of a lot of change is self-perception when mm. when yeah, the so way true. you yeah, see yourself so true. Yeah. yeah, when the and way it you see have, yourself changes, yeah. you kind of see that yourself different. You kind of become a different person accordingly. Yeah, and it doesn't have to mean that you were living a lie before, right? Yeah. And I think that's Definitely. I think that's why um, I talk a lot of shit about Colin Baker's Doctor on this podcast, but I don't care. Um, Colin Baker <laughs> is why Colin Baker's Doctor feels so anti Doctor Who. It's one of the key reasons for me because as soon as he regenerates, he is so dismissive of his past selves isn't he yeah and he tries he's... to kind of rewrite his own history and say no i he kind of tries to retcon his own personality doesn't he a little bit in a way that no other doctor really does i mean they sort of do in multi-doctor stories but that a multi-doctor story feels more and this again is something i talked about with joy but a multi-doctor story feels sort of like a person looking at old photographs of themselves or old video footage or even just mem mem uh, remembering uh, previous experiences they've had. Whereas Colin Baker's perception of himself feels fascistic in its attempt to center his own past. I don't know, maybe that's too strong a word. The Sixth Doctor is definitely vicious in a way that uh, his predecessors and successors aren't. I, 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 I am definitely uncomfortable with um that incarnation of the character although mm. i think the show as a whole in that period is just kind of tired of being doctor who yeah yes yes probably probably there's but, yeah. there's just kind of this uh fatigue and um and uh cynicism about it which which makes it kind of difficult to watch mm. and he makes it feel like the sixth doctor is kind of in denial right like everything around him is like is admitting what's going on there and he's not he's like no this is what doctor who is this is who i am i am not going to budge or be charitable to any other view about what this story is hashtag not my doctor yes yeah yeah he was the first not my doctor sorry colin i don't mean you personally i know you get very upset by things colin so if you're listening um i don't mean you I personally mean, all, all the doctors are listening to your show every single one yeah for sure um, every single one great all of them <laughs> yeah definitely all of them um the morbius doctors they're listening yeah oh well yeah duh i mean i i'm, I'm i think robert holmes is uh, probably having some uh feelings on the gender stuff we've just discussed mm, mm, for sure 
for sure. Yeah. They're huge about it. Um, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to me, Christina. I really appreciate um, you, you coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Molly. Where can people find you on Twitter? And where can people find your writing? And how can people get involved with funding your Patreon? Uh, my Twitter is uh, at Ballardian Gorse, uh, Ballard as in J.G. Ballard, Gorse as in the P. Bush, so G-O-R-S-E. Um, uh, my writing can be found at katebushsongs.wordpress.com and at arutatorumpress.com, where I, uh, both of which where I, uh, or I, every week I turn out a new blog post about a Kate Bush song. So if you like uh, Kate Bush songs, then you should go read about them. Um, and, uh, you can support my work at, uh, Patreon, uh, also at Ballardian Gorse, um, patreon.com slash Ballardian Gorse, I believe would be the URL. Um, that is where, where, what is where you can support me and thanks for listening and you should keep listening to Galactic Yo-Yo. Oh, well, that's very kind. No one's ever said that before. Thank you, Christine. Uh, you can you can follow us on Twitter, uh, the podcast that is, as usual, at Galactic Pod. You can follow me um, at Molly underscore Martian. Um, and you can email me at Galatioyopod, um at gmail.com. But uh, that's all for today. Thank you so much, everybody. Bye-bye.